What's my pet peeve? Messy cat litter. Those furry little pads turn into cat litter super spreaders, leaving the already been used litter scattered across the floor for your bare feet to discover. The solution? World's best cat litter's new load tracking and dust control. It's quick clumping, made from corn so it doesn't stick to paws like clay, and specially formulated to stay where it belongs, in the box. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter for a happier, less littered home. If your litter box could talk, what would it say to you? Good morning, lovely day, isn't it? Or perhaps, what's up with all the clay dust and chemicals you're laying on me and the cat? If that's the case, consider World's Best Cat Litter. It's virtually dust-free, quick clumping, and lasts twice as long as clay litter. And because it's made from corn, it's chemical-free and a naturally safe choice. World's Best Cat Litter, the number one selling natural litter brand for a reason. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404- Four seven four zero zero eight six. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Wilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and thank you for joining me, Gwilda Wiaka, on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative viewpoints and information with today's leading esoteric and scientific experts to help guide us through challenging and rapidly changing times. 
You, my thoughtful audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll discuss them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll be considering a very timely issue, demystifying COVID-19, conversations with a biomedical scientist. It's ironic, really. One tiny little virus has brought the entire planet to a virtual standstill and world economies crashing down. High hysteria and confusion abounds about the nature and the threat of COVID-19, with stories changing daily. With all the rapidly shifting and often conflicting information, it's nearly impossible to know how to respond in order to find safe passage. Several months back, no one would have believed it was possible. Well, almost no one. There have been those disregarded voices in the wilderness that saw this coming. One among them is today's guest. With us to discuss where COVID-19 came from and where it's going is Dr. Dennis Carroll. Dr. Carroll has a doctorate in biomedical research and with a special focus in tropical infectious diseases from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. He was a research scientist at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, where he studied the molecular mechanics of viral infection. He has over 30 years leadership experience in global health and development. Dr. Carroll served as director of the U.S. Agency for International Development's Emerging Threats Division. He was responsible for providing strategic and operational leadership for the agency's programs addressing new and emerging disease threats. He currently heads the Global Virum Project, an international partnership to build the systems and capacities to detect and characterize future viral threats. His website, globalvirumproject.com, excuse me, .org. Dr. Carroll, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Well, it's my pleasure to be here today. So tell us a little about what you do as a, as a biomedical scientist. Well, you know, the work that I've done over the years has really been about uh, trying to understand um, how future threats, and we think specifically of viral threats, how they emerge, and use that knowledge to better direct ways of preventing that emergence uh, and better prepare communities and societies to um, address them if they do emerge. So it's really been about uh, trying to shine a light on emergence and response. So up until recently, you served as director of U.S. Agency for International Development's Emerging Threats Division. Why did you leave that position? Well, um, I had been uh, with USAID and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for 30 years. Uh, and uh, in that time, I had the opportunity to um, develop uh, programs which really uh, allowed us to take innovative approaches uh, towards understanding risk and trying to better manage and prevent uh, risk uh, from occurring. Uh, as the programs evolved, it was clear to me that to achieve the kind of scale of impact that was needed to really prepare the world for the future of emerging viral diseases. Um, I needed to step outside of a U.S. government um, venture and uh, join with global partners to elevate um, future actions to one of a global scale. Uh, the work at USAID, particularly uh, in the work around um, a program called PREDICT, uh, was incredibly insightful and informative, but ultimately at a scale too small to really um, bend the curve of future risk. The Global Virome Project that um, I'm now uh, working with is really about building on that experience that PREDICT um, provided us with, the insights that PREDICT provided us with, but to move it to a scale where in uh, a much shorter period of time, within a decade, uh, we can have built a, if you will, a global atlas on all future viral threats and use that knowledge uh, to better prepare and mostly prevent uh, the events like COVID-19 from ever happening again. Speaking of which, were you surprised by COVID-19? 
I uh, wasn't surprised by COVID-19. No, not at all. I mean, its emergence uh, was exactly as you would have predicted. As we've always said, an emergence of a pandemic virus was never a question of if, it is a question of when. Um, we knew that there are certain hotspots in the world where the dynamics of uh, emergence is plays itself out much more um, so than elsewhere. And uh, the regions in China clearly are a cauldron of emerging viral dynamics. And so the emergence of COVID-19, nothing surprising about its emergence, really nothing surprising about its biology. It's very much a, a coronavirus, a respiratory virus. The way it spreads is uh, you know, the clinical uh, implications. So it's it falls very much within what you would expect um, a new viral threat to look like. Um, so why, why is uh, China such a hotbed for this sort of thing? Well, you know, the single biggest driver for uh, viruses, which uh, at this moment uh, circulate in wildlife, that's the natural reservoir of uh, viruses. And it's when they spill over, that is a virus will make a jump from a wildlife host, such as a bat, uh, into people, uh, the biggest single driver behind that spillover event is uh, population pressure, where the interactive dynamics driven by population between people and wildlife is intensifying. That's where you'll see these events occur with the greatest frequency. And obviously, China, with a population of 1.3 billion people, uh, is a region where the dynamics are playing themselves out uh, in ways that allow for uh, events like we see with the COVID-19 virus uh, in, in ways that are very predictable. So habitat encroachment at its finest. I'm, I'm sorry, could you say that again? I said habitat encroachment at its finest. Well, it, it, it is about habitat uh, encroachment. It's about land use change more than anything else. Uh, when we look at how ecosystems are being disrupted um, and our footprint, our incursion uh, into um, ecosystems that are the natural habitats for wildlife, uh, it's an extraordinarily disruptive event. And so... It, you know, I've, I've heard a lot, I think we all have, of this being a biological warfare that got out of a, a um, lab in China. What are you, what's your take on that? Well, first off, um, I th there's been some very, very good work done um, doing deep uh, genetic uh, analysis of this virus. And there's been clear um, uh, understanding that this is a natural virus. Uh, it is not one that has been subject to man-made manipulation. So it's in all likelihood a natural spillover event. But, well, they, they, they call it a novel virus. What does that mean then? Well, it's a novel virus to us. That's, that's all it means. It's a virus that our bodies have never been exposed to or seen before. Okay. And so we don't have any immunity for it. Our, yeah, exactly right. So it's novel with respect to our immune system um, having been exposed to it and having developed some kind of natural response to it. So when viruses emerge that we have never seen before, our bodies have never been exposed to, then we are extraordinarily vulnerable. Uh, viruses that are part of our normal landscape uh, we've learned to develop natural immunity against them. And when exposed, our immune systems are activated and they protect us. Uh, at some future point, um, COVID-19 virus, uh, we will have some kind of collective uh, immunity, but that won't be for many years into the future. Well, what's the likelihood of developing a, a vaccine for this thing? Well, one is hopeful. I mean, we haven't developed uh, vaccines against uh, these kinds of viruses, um, coronaviruses in the past. Uh, but 
it's a fairly stable um, virus, so it should be um, reasonably straightforward to be able to develop a vaccine. And there is a, really an extraordinary effort underway right now to, as rapidly as possible, um, develop one. But even when we say rapidly as possible. It uh, remains to be seen what that it, is. We'll have to pick up on what it looks like to develop this um, vaccine on the other side of a commercial break. Okay. Dr. Carroll and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny e. as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past life lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Hello again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What are your concerns about the origin of COVID-19? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience referencing the episode entitled, Surviving COVID-19, One Medical Doctor's Experience. LC shares, I just want to thank you, Gwilda, for bringing Dr. Hanscom on your show. I found hearing about his experience and his message about fear and immunity very reassuring and empowering. Thank you, LC. Dr. Hanscom did offer many valuable tools to help us all through these challenging times. Be well, my friend.
Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org to listen to Surviving COVID-19, One Medical Doctor's Experience. With us this hour, discussing where COVID-19 came from and where it may be going, is Dr. Dennis Carroll. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Dr. Carroll, we were just getting into the likelihood of um, a, a vaccine being formed, and I heard um, where the uh, Prime Minister of Canada said, well, we're going to be locked down till we get a vaccine. And from what you're saying, that could be a while. What, what's your predict- prediction there? Well, the most optimistic uh, forecast is that we'll have uh, vaccines that are ready to be used in 12, 18 months. You know, it's it's not a straightforward uh, exercise developing a vaccine. Um, you obviously want one that protects you against the virus, but you also want one that doesn't really have a lot of adverse uh, effects as well. And so making sure it's safe and effective uh, is a challenge. But one of the biggest challenges is the scaling up of its production. There are, you know, almost 8 billion people on this planet that are going to need this vaccine. And so how we move as rapidly as possible into uh, one, uh, successfully generating a vaccine and then achieving that level of unprecedented scale up is going to be extraordinary, extraordinarily challenging. Mm-hmm. We're certainly behind the power curve on this one, aren't we? Well, we certainly are. And, you know, there are going to be some enormous challenges as we go forward, particularly in terms of the issues around equitable access to a vaccine. Um, you know, what we run the risk of is the wealthy countries are going to essentially buy up all of the vaccine. Uh, and the wealthy countries are not necessarily the most vulnerable countries. And so we have really a challenge that we should be working on right now as the scientists are looking to develop a vaccine. uh, The global community really needs to come together to work out how do we make sure that equitable and fair access to this vaccine um, is the primary driver for its distribution. And past examples have not been um, good. Uh, I think we have seen how, uh, you know, the purchasing power of vaccines tends to, tends to distort uh, the flow of where vaccines go. So it's going to be- And where they need to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so is, is the Global Virum Project dealing, working with this as well? Well, the Global Virum Project is really about generating the kind of information uh, that would be the backbone um, for future um, countermeasures. And I, I think particularly one of the challenges that we have is that even as we develop a vaccine against COVID-19, in all likelihood, we will be faced at some point with a COVID-22, a COVID-24, the next iteration of a coronavirus that spills over and causes a threat. And, you know, that's the one thing I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned that it was stable, but that, that doesn't indicate that it doesn't mutate. Is that correct? Well, what it doesn't indicate is that there are other versions of this virus already in existence. We estimate there are about four to 5,000 other coronaviruses, other kinds of coronaviruses circulating in wildlife. So COVID-19 is not the first and it's certainly not the last variation on a coronavirus that we'll see. Um, so, but, but the point I was going to make is after spending a billion dollars, which is what, in effect, developing a COVID-19 virus vaccine will cost, the next iteration of this coronavirus, the next spillover, the, vi- the vaccine we develop for this one, in all likelihood, will have no cross-reactivity, provide you with no protection against that next coronavirus. Every now, is, that, is that like the flu, uh, where it mutates as well, or is this going to be worse in that regard? No. Uh, again, the flu is because that is a far more uh, mutagenic uh, virus than coronaviruses. Influenzas, the way they replicate um, using a combination of genetic um, uh, gene swapping 
um, allows them to evolve and change in ways which are far more dramatic than what we see in other viruses. So the seasonal flu, uh, you know, all of those are variations on past pandemic viruses uh, that emerged, whether 1918 or 1957 or 1968 or even 2009. Um, those viruses evolve in ways which are really quite extraordinary and unique among um, what we know about how other viruses. So coming up every year with a new seasonal flu vaccine uh, is enormously difficult and enormously challenging. Early speculation is that the, this particular coronavirus does not evolve with the same kind of dynamics uh, that the influenza virus does. And so there would be hope that the virus over the coming years will be far more stable and the vaccine that is developed against it uh, will be um, able to be effective for a longer period of time. We know the one thing that I'm hearing and conflicting information on is once you've had it, then you're immune or once you've had it, then you're immune, but then you test positive again, or once you've had it, you're a carrier or you might be carrying it and not showing any symptoms. What can you tell us about all that? Well, you know, the story is still out. We're making a lot of assumptions about immunity uh, when it comes to this uh, particular virus. There hasn't been enough time yet um, where it's been circulating and infecting people for us to really know whether someone who's been infected and survives um, actually has conferred immunity the way we would expect other uh, infections uh, to behave. And even if it does confer immunity, we don't know how long that immunity might last, whether it'll be a few weeks, a few months, or a lifetime. Uh, those are questions that are enormously difficult uh, to answer within the few months that this virus has been circulating. Uh, and so it's going to be important, particularly that we pay attention to research coming out of China, which was the first place for this virus. You know, what are we learning about cohort survivors of this um, uh, pandemic and their natural immunity? And how can we use that information to better understand what that might mean for us as well? So how long is this, um, you know, what, when were the first cases discovered? I uh, take it in, in 2019 because it's COVID-19. But do you have any idea where, where, you know, when it was first recognized and people were well, trying first, to get it? The first public discussion of it uh, began in uh, um, early, mid-December of 2019. Uh, there's some spotty records that suggest it may have been circulating uh, a month or so before that, it's not quite clear. But the first real discussions of this and the first time it became a, a discussion of clinical investigation uh, was in December of 2019. You know, we have a lot of um, diseases out there with much, much higher body count. Why is there so much panic, uh, seemingly, about, about this one? What's, what's so different? Well, I mean, think of the body count. I mean, you look at the, the weather begins to cool down and we'll have another wave of this um, sweeping across uh, uh, the world, uh, suggesting that uh, it's, it's going to be a much more profound part of our natural landscape for the next 12 plus months uh, than we might hope otherwise. What? So, so the, the point is, is that when you look at the populations that are infected and the populations who have serious illness and die, uh, there is significant mortality, uh, depending on where you are. If in, you're in Italy, uh, people over 60 years old, 10% mortality. That's obviously not insignificant. Even people in their 40s having significantly high mortality. So it's a, it's a deadly virus. Oh, it, sound, it sounds very scary. We are going to have to take another pause. Uh, um, when we get back, I would really like to uh, discuss uh, what we can do to help, uh, protect ourselves. Dr. Carroll and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net. 
How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and the we're going family style deal because i want a bite of your big mac and i need some of your quarter pound i'll try your filet of fish there's a deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer imagine more success go to findhiddenmoney.com if you are looking for a safe zero calorie natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today just like sugar is what you're looking for just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience if you have seen a ufo had a close encounter seen a ghost bigfoot lake monster or a story that you would like to share or have investigated contact me rob mcconnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on skype xzone radio tv for more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge information-packed episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Dennis Carroll. We're attempting to demystify COVID-19. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Dr. Carroll, we were getting into um, how the come summer, that the uh, COVID-19 might back off a little bit. Why is that? Why, what's the, I know we see that with the flu. We're probably going to see it with this. Why, why is that the case? Well, first off, there was a, uh, a special uh, expert panel from the National Academy of Sciences, the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, that released a report last week that indicated that they uh, – agreed that in all likelihood this virus would not really attenuate itself or begin to disappear with warm weather, um, but that it would also likely come back uh, in the fall um, much more robustly. So uh, this is, you know, we had hoped that as we see with influenzas, uh, as the weather warms up 
the influenza virus tends to uh, disappear. And it's with cold, uh, moist weather uh, that it tends to surge. Uh, this virus is behaving a bit differently than than uh, the influenza viruses at this point. So, why what what cause what is the cause of the heat versus the cold, wet weather? What does it do to the virus exactly that has it going dormant? Well, to be honest with you, we don't really understand it. We, we empirically we know that there is this behavior, that there is um, the virus. Uh, one replicates and spreads more easily under conditions where the temperature is cooler and the uh, moisture is high. As temperatures elevate, uh, the virus uh, begins to uh, lessen its replication uh, dynamics and it tends to essentially go into a, a hibernation state, if you will. Uh, but it's not really understood why that occurs. It, yeah. We know it does, and we plan our public health uh, season around um, that understanding. Why weren't we better prepared for this pandemic? Well, you know, when you think about what's required to be prepared, um, I think when we look around the world and we see where countries have in fact been able to manage this virus better than other countries. Uh, the biggest single factor I think you can attribute to success has been when there's been strong, uh, coherent leadership from central authorities. Uh, where we've seen weak leadership or confused uh, communications, uh, we've seen this virus move uh, much more freely. So when you look at uh, Taiwan, uh, you you look at um, China, uh, you look at uh, South Korea, what they all have in common was leaders who stepped forward early uh, in the process and established a clear national agenda uh, and had their citizens adhere to it. Because this has less to do with having a vaccine or pharmaceutical, and it's really much more to do with um, people's behaviors, being able to manage those behaviors in ways that lower risk uh, requires sort of unified action. And that's where we've seen success and where we've not seen unified action, that's where we've seen failure. Do you see the United States, where we're really governed uh, state by state on this sort of thing, do you see that as being a major hindrance to slowing this thing down? Well, I don't see it so much as a hindrance. What I do see as a hindrance was the lack of a national strategy to help the states coordinate their actions. So this isn't about seeding decision-making to Washington, but Washington in many ways has a, um, a purview where they're able to see the dynamics of the virus, not through a state lens, but through a national lens, which means that they're in a better position to understand its um, evolving dynamics that may move it from one part of the country to another and the kinds of actions that you would need to disrupt that movement that would be led at the state level but having states coordinate their actions really uh, is a sort of a critical feature here and uh, we've been fortunate that we have governors that have in fact provided leadership that's been lacking uh, from Washington, even as we heard announcements yesterday that the governors of the northeastern United Northeastern states are forming a regional uh, strategy and plan to coordinate how they will begin to uh, sort of begin to deregulate much of the actions that they've um, taken uh, for social distancing. And similarly, in the Western states, the governors have come together um, to be able to coordinate how they will do this, when they will do this. Um, well, isn't that, isn't that going to be ultimately the, the answer, not just at a government level, but at an at a, at a individual level, is this coming together and cooperating 
um, to to slow down the spread of this? Isn't that going yeah. to be the answer? Well, remember this: uh, a virus doesn't spread. We spread the virus. It's our behaviors, our individual actions that collectively build up either uh, the ability to stop the spread of the virus or to enable the spread of the virus. So it is individual actions and individual responsibilities. Yeah, it's kind of time to wake up and grow up for the populace at large, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What is, uh, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but what's a zootonic disease? What is a, what kind of disease? I'm trying to pronounce the word. Zoonic? Oh, zoonotic. Zoonotic, it, uh, there we go. We talked about zoonosis earlier, the spillover of viruses or any uh, microbe, it could be bacteria or, or parasites of any type, that jump from an animal into a person. Um, that's a, a zoonotic disease. Zoonosis is the condition. Okay, and, and this has been around like since forever, yes? Uh, since even before then. Yes, it's been around forever. As long, look, it's, it's, we, one thing we lose sight of, uh, is the fact that we're just one other species, uh, on this planet. And, you know, from, uh, and, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, we're not all of that significant. I mean, we like to think so, but, Viruses move and look for new ecologic niches whenever they can. They're always trying to diversify their host range. Uh, it's it's something that's innate within the way they operate. And we're just one more potential host. No better, no worse than anyone else. Uh, and whenever they get an opportunity to, uh, you know, explore the opportunity to infect us, they will do it. Uh, and more often than not, they won't be able to infect us. But those that can infect us, um, they've successfully uh, diversified their ecologic niche that one more time. And from an evolutionary perspective, that's important because, you know, the viruses that have a very narrow ecologic niche, they only habitate within one species. If that species go extinct, so does the virus, the, the virus that has a broad ecologic niche uh, is far less vulnerable to extinction um, as one of its hosts disappears. So it's, it's a really clever application of some basic Darwinian dynamics. <laughs> They're certainly outsmarting us at this point. Yeah. Uh, oh. You know, an, another thing I've heard is that there's a difference in um, how different blood types react to the virus, like O and um, RH negative tend to do better than the A's and the B's. Uh, do you know anything about that? No, I, I would have to say again, that's the kind of information that we're still sorting out. Right. So there's a lot of, lot of statements being made out there that are not founded in science. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Look, there's far more we don't know about this virus than we do. Even after um, studying it and engaging it for four months now, uh, the questions that remain unanswered are far more than the questions we've answered. And, you know, a lot of people are really concerned, oh, information is being withheld. It sounds to me like it's more that we just don't have it. Yeah, there's, I'm not aware of any information being withheld, and I'm not even sure what the purpose of withholding information would be. The problem is, is that we tend to share information even before it's definitive. So a lot of the information around the efficacy of um, a different drugs right now, the um, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation that this could be um, a miracle drug. And we certainly hear that from President Trump. But there's been no clinical trials which have allowed us to really evaluate whether this is true or not. It's all, you know, it, it's... It's, it's based on really flawed and faulty um, sort of experiments that it's, can be interpreted any number of ways. Got it. 
Oh, got it. Okay, well, unfortunately, or fortunately, it's time for another commercial break. Dr. Carol and I will be back shortly to continue this very enlightening discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.missionevolution.org. to me over and over again simultv.com simultv.com what's simultv.com that's what i asked them they had it written on the side of their ufo how do you spell that ufo no i mean simultv.com 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 right simultv.com interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com ufo last night oh yeah yeah now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. And speaking of gifted people of service to the world, this hour we're sharing thoughts with Dr. Dennis Carroll. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Um, this being our last segment, I would, I would like to discuss... What you know, what we do know, and how we can use what we do know to protect ourselves as individuals and as a culture. So, what do you have to say on that one? Well, um, I think keep doing what we're doing right now um, in those in those states and uh, cities that have brought um, physical distancing measures uh, into play. Really adhere to them. And personal hygiene, continuing to, you know, always think of yourself as an infected person. Uh, we know there are infected people out there who are asymptomatic. 
and but they're capable of spreading the virus. So you should always treat yourself as an infected person when you go out and you uh, are interacting with other people, which means that you need to wear a face mask and you need to make sure you're constantly washing your hands. Uh, the odds are, of course, that you're not infected. But if everyone takes the position that they are, then those few who are infected are not going to pass that virus on. And so that, to me, is, is the important thing. Adhere to what we know. We can stop this virus. Uh, again, they don't spread. We spread them. And it's our behaviors that allow a virus to move from one person to another. And we just have to make sure we adhere to those behaviors which really disrupt that spread. And we, be, being, be, be vigilant on it. From being advised to don a hazmat suit, mask up, or simply wrap a bandana around your face, there, there's a lot of conflicting information, what precautions we should take as yeah. an average person. So what, what, what can you tell us about that? Well, there's, you know, there's the perfect intervention, then there's the effective intervention, um, which maybe isn't perfect, but it's still effective. Anything that goes around your mouth and nose, if you sneeze and cough, and if you are infected, then any virus that you're expelling is going to be encapsulated in spit and mucus. And so if you have a, some kind of cloth or uh, covering over your nose and mouth, it's not going to move past um, that covering. And similarly, if you're out on the street and someone is coughing and sneezing, God forbid, without a mask on, then again, the virus is not a free virus. It's encapsulated. It's in a glob of something. And uh, it will likely just get trapped on the outer surface of what it is that you are covering your face and your mouth with, which means that you should always assume when you take off that covering that the outer side of it is, in fact, covered with viruses and you should wash it. Uh, certainly in some kind of Clorox or Lysol uh, formula that will kill the virus off. I understand it's fairly fragile virus and not not real difficult to kill if you're vigilant. Well, it, it, it's I wouldn't say it's fragile because it can it can sit on surfaces for three, four, five or six days. Oh, goodness. Uh, so, you know, it, you have to be careful if, you, if you've got metal handrails. Um, people walk along those metal handrails and have sneezed into their hand and then taken their hand and walked down that handrail. And if they've had virus now blown onto their hands, they will leave a trail of viruses um, on that handrail. So, and they'll, and those viruses will be good for several days. So you need to make sure that if you walk down and you put your hand on that handrail, you have hand sanitizer and you wash. So it's very susceptible to alcohol, but that alcohol has to be at least 70%. Um, it's certainly susceptible to bleach. Um, so those things will kill the virus, but it does uh, maintain itself in the environment uh, for uh, up to several days. It sounds like it takes an awful lot of mindfulness because I'm just sitting here thinking, well, I live clear up in the middle of nowhere. Nobody comes here. I'm all by myself. But the UPS man delivers and he opens the doorknob into the shipping and receiving uh, shed every time he comes. Yep. So that could that could possibly be a place that it's spread. If I just take a Clorox wipe and wipe the doorknob um, daily. That would be that would be excellent. It's, it's, we just really have to be a lot more mindful. You know, the one thing that I love that you've brought up is instead of going out there, oh, we're protecting ourselves, actually, we're protecting each other. Exactly right. And, you know, it, it, one, it's, it's a good spirit to adopt that I'm here and I'm going to make sure I'm not going to infect you. And if everyone takes that attitude, it, it becomes we become more of a community of working together and looking out for each other, um, which in these times, um, recognizing our interdependence uh, when we spend so much time separated uh, is an important one. There's a, a lot of hidden gifts of this pandemic. What do you see them as being? 
I'm, I'm sorry, could you say that again? Mm-hmm. I said, what are the hidden gifts of this pandemic? The different gifts. Hidden gifts. Yeah, the hidden gifts. Well, um, you know, I mean, the silver lining to everything. Um, well, one, the silver lining might be that this could be a, this might be the serious wake up call for us to really um, sustain our commitment and our investment uh, into uh, preparing for and preventing um, events like this from ever happening again. If we walk out of this experience basically saying never again and committing ourselves as a global community to making those investments that make sure that we are never um, at risk of a global pandemic wreaking the kind of havoc that uh, we are now experiencing. And we take the steps that we know, we know what we need to do. Uh, it's been a failure, however, of sustained commitment, um, both in terms of resources, but also in terms of practices and policies. And so the silver lining may be that this is enough of a shock to our system that uh, the kinds of investments that need to be made to prevent this from ever happening again will be invested in and sustained as we go forward. Yes, another interesting thing you brought up, and we're running close to the end of our time now, but, you know, people go into a panic, they go into their back brain, they don't use their logic, and buy up all sorts of things they don't need, don't get what they do need. How, how can we bring a grounding to that? Yeah, well, I, I still have to say I'm shocked whenever I go into the supermarket and find that paper goods are totally non-existent. Um, you know, uh, paper towels and toilet paper. Uh, I have no idea where all of this hoarding for these goods are, but it does shine a light on what it is that we value. <laughs> and it's, to me, it's a very peculiar uh, thing to elevate to our highest level of concern. Um, as a society, I don't know. It's uh, it's curious. very odd, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. How, how do you how do you see our world changing as a result of COVID nineteen? Well, l l let me just say what I think COVID nineteen uh, told us about how the world has changed over the last several years, and hopefully that will have shocked us enough that maybe we can take a few steps back. Um, I mentioned that uh, earlier, uh, the thing that has shocked me most about this uh, pandemic hasn't been the virus at all. It's been the lack of a global response. And in past years, over the course of my three, four decades working in this space, whenever we've been faced with a global challenge, the global community has come together. We have various uh, platforms, G20, G7, the United Nations, regional um, organizations that we've used as a way of reinforcing um, our shared bond to work together uh, to respond and to address these issues. What we saw with COVID-19, I think, is a consequence of four or five years of the rise of nationalism and populism that has totally fractured the global communities which have been so instrumental in the past so that our response to COVID-19 has been totally fragmented every country for themselves. And I would hope that as we come out of this experience, we will appreciate just how important our global community is, acting as one planet, is central to our survival. Mm, and beautiful. my hope is that we can use this as an opportunity to re-engage and to rebuild and once again see ourselves as part of um, one planet, one community, one world. Mm. And beautifully stated, and unfortunately, we are out of time. Dr. Carroll, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Well, to thank you very much for inviting me. Um, stay uh, safe. You too, sir. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Dennis Carroll. 
Dr. Carroll is a biomedical research scientist. He served as the director of the U.S. Agency for International Development's Engineering Threats Division and currently heads the Global Virum Project. His website, globalvirumproject.org. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world. Above all, stay safe, be well. Together, we can do this. family style deal because i want a bite of your big mac and i need some of your quarter pounds. i'll try your filet of fish there's a deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer